0: like us to look at that portion, especially um, in verses 31 and 32, and Jesus is speaking to these Jews who believed in him, and he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It is one of those expressions, isn't it, uh, that is famous uh, from the Gospels when we think about Jesus, and uh, we are reminded of the liberty and the freedom that comes through knowing and understanding the truth. And you remember those uh, words of Pilate, uh, Pontius Pilate, when he was speaking with Jesus. And uh, he says to Jesus, well, what is truth? It's almost as if it's, uh, it's a mystery, mystery to him. It was a mystery to the world in trying to grasp and to understand what truth is all about. And yet for all of that, isn't it, what you find here is that the truth is something that liberates people, people from ignorance, people from death, people from not knowing the truth and uh, realizing something that there are lies out there in the world and uh, people and principalities and powers seek to, as it were, lead us into darkness and bring all kinds of lies and misunderstandings concerning uh, the truth of God in the Gospels and uh, what Jesus is saying to us is that when we know the truth, it's that truth that will unshackle us and set us free in our minds, in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our desires. It's that truth that liberates us and one of the things is that about truth is that sometimes you get in the Gospels, don't you, that uh, truth and light uh, almost synonymous, Um, uh, the things that uh, Jesus speaks about and talks about light at times and then truth at other times. And uh, it's almost like a combination of the both, isn't it? Truth and light are one and the same thing. When truth comes to us, light comes to us. You know, and you read in the book of Proverbs, isn't it, the entrance of your word gives light, you know, and God's word and God's truth when it comes to us, it does give us light. It gives us light and understanding in our minds. But the thing is, uh, I remember reading many, many years ago when I was a, a young man, I can say that now, can I? When I was a young man, <laughs> and um, James Alexander was the uh, son of Archibald Alexander, was the first uh, Princeton uh, uh, lecturer uh, when he was writing a book for young preachers. And uh, he, he wrote um, a letter to a young preacher at that particular time, a young minister, and he was saying to, Study more of the truth. And the, this young man really wanted to know about, um, you know, how much time should he give to reading about other trains of thought, other thoughts that people have. And he said, well, the thing is that when you read about the truth and you have grasped the truth and you understand the truth, when error comes along and when lies come along, you will immediately have that discernment to realize that this is error. Why? Because you know the truth, and it doesn't stand the test. And you look at it, and you analyze it, and you say, well, this can't be the truth, because it's in conflict with what I already know to be the truth. You see, the whole point is this, isn't it? There are many, many liars. There are multiples of lies, aren't there? You know, you can accumulate lie after lie after lie, but there can only be one truth. If something is true... It is absolutely true. It's not, oh, you you know, it it could be slightly different or something like that. No, when it is true, it is true. And everything in conflict with the truth is a lie. And this is what Jesus is dealing with here. He is dealing with a situation with these particular people where he wants to convey the truth to them through the Word of God and give to them light and liberation, freedom. You see, in the verse that we didn't read, which was the verse before 31, which is number 30, of course, it says like this, that he spoke these words, many believed in him. There were many people at that particular time as they heard the word that Jesus was speaking, it tells us quite categorically that they believed. They believed the word that Jesus spoke. But the interesting thing is, that Jesus is about to put them to the test. And this is always the case, isn't it? All faith is brought to the test, whether it's true faith or false faith. And you can have false faith. And what Jesus is about to do is that he is about to probe the hearts and souls of these particular people who on the surface of things Believed what Jesus was saying, and believed in Jesus. But what you find is what a difference you find when you read in verse thirty that as he spoke these words, he spoke these words, and many believed in him. But when you come to the end, isn't it, in verse fifty-nine, it tells us, then they took up stones to throw at him. You know? What a contrast, all of a sudden, you know, in those sort of twenty-eight verses, suddenly. It's gone from them believing in Jesus to them wanting to take up stones to stone Jesus. And the thing is, why is it that there was such a reaction towards Jesus at this time? Why did they respond in such a way to Jesus? And the same thing about this chapter is, the interesting thing about the chapter is, that as you go through the chapter, it's almost as if Jesus starts to peel away the veneer of their faith. You know, when you, you read about the sword and the seed, isn't it? You find that there are certain people who believe, and yet there is no root in them. And when trials and tribulation arise, suddenly it is burned up, the sun rises, and this is consumed And that little plant which was trying to grow suddenly shrivels up and dies. And it's a picture, isn't it, of uh, somebody who believes for a time. And we've met people like that, haven't we? In our experience, you know, we've seen people come and they make a profession of faith. And then after a certain period of time, their faith seems to, as it were, dry up and die. And they no longer meet with us, they no longer come to us, they no longer read the Bible, they no longer pray. Something has happened to them. And in many ways when you start looking at this chapter, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus is the searcher of men's hearts. And what he is doing now is that he is about to probe into their very souls to unravel their true state and their true condition. And one of the things that you find with Jesus is that he is speaking to these particular people when he has told them, that the truth shall make you free. In verse 33, we read like this, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. Oh, there was their pride and joy, isn't it? You know, their their lineages, they came from uh, Abraham, you know, they could track their all sort of parentage back down through the ages, back back to uh, to Abraham. And he says, and have never been in bondage to anyone. What was their state and their condition at that time? When they wanted to crucify Jesus, they had to go to Pontius Pilate, didn't they, and ask him, can we kill this man, basically? Why? Because they didn't have the rule any longer. There was all, at this time, the power that was over and above them controlling their situation. So in their sort of imagination... They were saying, you know, we've never been in bondage to anybody. We've never been a slave to anybody. You know, we've never had anybody have any power over us or control us. Well, that was utter rubbish. They were in a situation now that they couldn't choose their own destiny. But for them, you see, oh, their their lineages, their background, they they were Abraham's seed. And then Jesus confronts them, doesn't he? And he wants to tell them, you know, are they really Abraham's seed? was to put him to the test, you see. And What does he say? I know that you are Abraham's descendants, he says in verse 37, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered him and said to him, Abraham is our father. You see the Get on their high horse, as it were, you know. It's almost as if what Jesus is saying is offensive to them at this particular time. And Jesus says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. In other words, the characteristics of their father should be seen in them. And if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. You know, it's at this particular point, you see, now Jesus is getting under their skin, okay? (laughs) You know, have you ever had somebody get under your skin, you know, rile you up a bit? Or have you tried or done this, got under somebody else's skin and riled them up? And so the immediate response to Jesus at this particular time is, you know, then they say to him, We were not born of fornication. We were not born immorally. It was questioning Jesus' birth, questioning Joseph's position, and questioning Mary's morality. You know, it was a very, very insulting thing, wasn't it? You can imagine it, isn't it? If somebody comes along and says, you know, we were not born of fornication. We were not illegitimate, as it were, you know. You know, the father who you claim is the father, as it were, or seems to be the father, Joseph, is not really your father. And your mother was immoral. It's a very insulting thing to say. But you can see at this time, what, what was happening to them was that Jesus was getting to them. Jesus was getting before, be, under their skin, as it were, under the veneer of their exterior, and come into the very heart of these particular people. And all Jesus says to them is, if God were your Father, you would love me. You see, this is the situation that these particular people find themselves in. A little later on, what you find in this particular chapter, isn't it, we go up to verse 48, you see, and Jesus is talking about those who hear, he says in verse 45, But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me, which of you convicts me of sin. But if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. And then their accusation to him, isn't it? It's almost as if it goes to another level, isn't it? At verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly? that you are a Samaritan and have a demon. You know, the Samaritans and the Jews have no dealings with each other. John chapter 4. You know, they despised these mongrel people. And not only that, you know, yet you are demon-possessed. You have a demon. You know? you know, the insults are getting worse, aren't they? But what is the best form of defense, isn't it, is to attack. So they're attacking Jesus, they're they're responding to him in this particular way. You have a demon, he says, then the Jews in verse 52, it says, then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon, Abraham is dead and the prophets. Why did they say that? Well Jesus says to them, isn't it? I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never die. You know, their response to this is, oh, you know, he's shooting himself in the foot at this particular time. How can this be possible, you know? And then they say to him, "Is it now we know that you have a demon. The Abraham is dead, and so are the prophets. You know, if they believed this, they wouldn't have died. And then Jesus says to them, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. And then they go on to say, are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself to be or out to be Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You know, this is a terrific claim. You know, the people who believed would not die. You see, they don't really, really understand what Jesus is all about. The conversation is going on like this, and they look at Jesus, and they say to him in verse 57, isn't it, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Why? Well, Jesus says to them, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. How could they conceive of Jesus having an encounter with Abraham when it was obvious that Jesus had not even been 50 years old. He was in his 30s. How then could he have entered into a situation where he and Abraham had met together? To them, you see, it it was all sort of confusing. And they were looking at it and they were saying, well, this is ridiculous. You're not 50 years old. How could you possibly know Abraham? It was an impossibility. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. But Abraham died a thousand odd years ago. How could all of this be? And then comes the ultimate test, isn't it? In verse 58, Jesus says to them, Most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was I am. Now, this was the ultimate test. Here was Jesus making this tremendous claim. Now, we know, don't we, that the the use of this term, I am, is the the using of God's name of the Old Testament. I am that I am, he says to Moses, isn't it? And you know, people were fearful of this name. You know, this was the the, the God who was eternal, the God who was ever existing. I am in the present, always in the present, self-existing. This was a claim to deity. This was a claim for Jesus saying to them that he was God. And when he had this relationship, when he spoke with Abraham, here he was bound up with Abraham in the history of Abraham. I am, he says. I was there at that time. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. This was too much for them. It was at this particular point, it tells us, then they took up stones to throw at him. This was more than they could bear at this particular time. The claim to deity, the claim that Jesus was God, this was more than they could accept. And so they wanted to put him to death. But you see how? What Jesus has been doing was, he was tearing away layer upon layer upon layer. On the one hand, they were professing to believe in Jesus, professing to believe what he was saying. But Jesus exposes their hypocrisy and he tears away the veneer till finally they come to this position whereby they want to take up stones to stone him. If they really and truly understood who Jesus was, why would they dare to do that? To a person who claimed deity at this particular time, they took up stones to stone him. Of course, it just tells us, doesn't it, that, uh, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. In other words, you. And nobody put a hand upon him. He just went through them. But you see, the interesting thing about this chapter is that not only does it expose, remove the veneer of their faith, but what it does do to us, it does tell us about these other people who were also Jesus' disciples, who were the true believers. They respond to Jesus' word in the right way. Jesus wants to say to them, look, why is it and what are you at this particular point is it in this time? What is your true state and your true condition? Why is it that you're not really believing and trusting in the words that I bring to you at this moment of time? You see, if you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. If they really, truly understood what Jesus was saying and who Jesus was, when Jesus said that I am, they would be more like the Apostle Peter, isn't it? Who would bow down before Jesus and say, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O oh Lord. But they did not believe this. And the reason they didn't believe it is because they were not of God. In verse 47, he who is of God Hears God's word, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. <coughs> in other words, they weren't responding to the word of God because they did not believe and they did not belong to God. But if the truth had come to them in such a way, isn't it, and they had believed and accepted the truth, it would have set them free and their minds would have removed that. The darkness that is there, because what happens is that when the light of God's Word shines upon us, it dispels darkness. Darkness only exists because of the removal of all light, or the non-existence of light. When light comes, darkness ceases. But the, proved, the, true, the true situation of these particular people was that they were still in Darkness. And they were in darkness because they did not allow the word of God to enter into their hearts and into their souls. So they were still in that state of bondage and corruption. Or what Jesus says here, isn't it? That they were still slaves to sin. They had not been liberated or freed from the shackles of their sin. And Jesus says to them that you were of your father, the devil and the deeds of your father, you will do You are not following in the footsteps of your claimed father, the claimed father of Abraham. And again they go on to say, don't they, that God was their father. We have one father in verse 41, isn't it? They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, and that is God. And Jesus said, if God was your father, you would love me. You see, the point is this that if they believed and accepted the word of God, if they believed it with all their heart and it was something that was in their soul, then it would create a love for Jesus. The proof of what true faith is, is a true and sincere love for Jesus. You would love Jesus. Do you remember Peter when he was writing his first letter and he, he says to them, Whom having not seen, he says, talking about Jesus, you love. And believing, he says, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. In other words, you know, faith and love come together. By believing the truth of what Jesus says, liberates and frees us to understand who Jesus is. And in understanding who Jesus is, and this inner light that is shining upon us to grasp, to, to enable us to grasp the truth and the reality of who Jesus is, causes us to have this devotion and this heart longing for him, to love him. Why? Because we clearly know and understand who Jesus is. You see the problem was That the Word of God didn't penetrate into them. Why? Because they just simply didn't believe. They were refusing and rejecting what Jesus was saying, and in that rejection they were rejecting God. They were rejecting the light of God. They were rejecting what God himself was saying, the very Word of God, because they were refusing that. It was impossible that Jesus could be loved by them. This is why they took up stones to stone him, because they had no true perception and understanding of the very nature of who Jesus is. And isn't this where the world stands today? because of their unbelief, and because of their rejection of the word of God, because they do not believe what God has said and what God has revealed. If they believe the revelation that God had given in the gospel, then they would come to love Jesus. It's an inevitable consequence of faith. It is to bring us to that place whereby we are liberated from all that stops us in coming to Jesus, in loving Jesus. And when the truth comes to us, It sets us free. Free to what? Free to understand who Jesus is. Well, let me just quickly uh, move on because uh, we're running out of time. But just quickly to say something about this. I've uh, been thinking recently about, you know, if we believe the truth, isn't it? You know, the world at large is mystifying to people, isn't it? The cosmos itself is an infinite mystery. You know, I know that we in the church and the people of God are in conflict with um, some particular ideas about science and things. And I'm not a scientist, so I'm not claiming any uh, specific knowledge. But you can reason with things, can't you? And uh, I was interested uh, in reading. I went to read up on the origin of life, you see. Just out of curiosity, see what people had to say. There are four particular themes that uh, on the origin of life. But the biggest problem that they have with the or- origin of life, you see, is the crossover from the inanimate to the animate. In other words, what has not got life and then it creating life or having life, there is a major problem. You see, before you ever get to evolution, this is a problem, and there are four hypotheses about it, but, but the what if science is like this that the thing is that they do have a major problem. They don't know how life started, you know. Before you ever get to evolution, forget evolution for a minute, But, you know, the wonderful thing about God is is that he doesn't want us to be in darkness. But he wants to have us to have light and truth. And the the thing about this gospel is, isn't it, you know, when you, you start to look at who Jesus is, isn't it? In the beginning it was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I am, okay? But where does life come from? If God is saying to us, look, I I don't want to leave you in darkness, I don't want you to be dullards, you know, I'm going to tell you, you know, I made this world, I made this cosmos. In the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth, I did all of that. Well, where did life come from then? You know, if we talk about the cosmos and the Big Bang Theory and all of that, isn't it the hypothesis that they have in it? But, But what happens then with life? The interesting thing is, you know, when you start reading those verses, it tells us about Jesus. In him was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. He had life in himself. And what he did was that he imparted this life from the inanimate to make it animate, to make it alive. That which didn't have life, To give it life. Read in the book of Genesis, isn't it? What does it say in chapter 2 and verse 7? God created man of the dust of the earth. And what happened? God breathed into him. And man became a living soul. So he took something that was inanimate. Formed a man. And then he comes along and he breathes life into him. Here was the origin of life. God giving life. He is the only true and living God. He is the only God who has immortality dwelling within him. He is the only one who can impart life. And God doesn't want to live in darkness or misunderstanding. So he gives us all the answers and all the solutions. But the problem is that man doesn't believe. And so what he does is that he has to create an hypothesis to overcome these problems. The simplicity of it is is this, the simplicity of faith. Remember the writer in the Hebrew saying, you know, by faith we believe that God created the heavens and the earth. By faith. We can only come to it by faith. If we come to it, you know, through science or rationale, we come to a dead stop. There has been a conflict since the 18th century, or the 19th century, with Darwin and all these people about the origin of life. They still can't find the origin of life. Why? Because they're looking in the wrong place. And they're hoping that by going up to Mars, of course, they're hoping that they're going to find something that might say to us that there was life there sometime. Well, think of this creation. Man was made in the image of God. Think of God creating all the animals, all the fish of the sea, all the birds in the air, Creating all of these things, here is the answer. If we believe in this great creator, if we know the truth, the truth shall set us free. We don't have to grapple with science, you know. It might not be scientific anyway. But we don't have to grapple with it. But God has already told us the answers. So we have the answers here. Not only. The answers to creation. Not only the answers to the origin of life, but the answers to redemption and of salvation. That God comes to us and he says, I've sent my son into the world, and if you believe in him, you shall have everlasting life. When the truth comes, it shall set us free. We're not taken in, are we? We're not gullible enough to be taken in by the world. By its unbelief, by its lies. What do we read here in this particular chapter about the devil? He is a murderer and the father of lies. Here is the origin of lies. Here is the murderer. Here is the one who has brought death into this world. Here is the one who deceived our forefathers, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. Here is this one who had murdered mankind. Here are the answers. But you see, the sad thing and the tragedy is, isn't it, that the world rejects, refuses the word of God to their own detriment. And so they look at this cosmos, and they're still looking at it, as some profound mystery of where did it all begin? And God says, with me. With me. The whole of the cosmos, life, all of it originated and came from me. And Jesus is saying, look, if we know the truth, the truth will set us free so that we are no longer walking in darkness. But we do have the light of life because Christ has come to us. Remember Jesus saying, and this is where I close, in chapter 10 of the John's Gospel here, isn't it? He says like this, isn't it? He says, but you, when he's talking to these people, but you do not believe, he says, because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. We hear the voice of Jesus only. And we follow him. Why? Because we believe in who he is, in all of what he claimed to be, in all of what he did for us, in all of what he achieved for us at Calvary. He is our redeemer. He is our saviour. He is our sacrifice. He is our high priest. There are so many things that you can say about him, isn't it? But simply to know that the truth has come and has set us free. And we can rejoice in that, can we? we? praise God We are no longer in darkness. We are no longer dead in our sin and separated from God. But by believing in what Jesus said and in what Jesus has done, we have eternal life.